You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, we've got Eric Jorgensen. He's got the best name in the world. He is a founding team member at Zarly. But more than anything, what I'm really curious about is the book he decided to do, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, A Guide to Wealth and Happiness. And you know, I'm getting a lot of poo-poo right now about writing a book because people are like, uh, Eric, it's archaic. Nobody reads books anymore, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to talk about business, talk about personal growth and all that. So Eric, how's it going? It's good. Alliance of the Erics. I like the energy in here. This is going to be fun. That's why the energy is good because you have a great name. So talk about your background a little bit and, and kind of what you do right now and how it led up to you deciding to you know do this book. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of always been like a small business guy, a hustler. Like I grew up in the Midwest in a small business household. So I was kind of like selling candy out of my locker and getting paid to give kids rides to school and stuff. So I've got a long string of like half-assed and failed projects behind me, but I'm always working on something on the side. And of course, got into the startup world, startup and tech world kind of was in college when like Facebook and Twitter were blowing up. And so that was like an easy no brainer. It was just like, I got to get to San Francisco. I got to get into this world. And I kind of, I've loved reading and writing and always kind of enjoyed like curating and swimming around and learning and resources and stuff like that. And so that kind of just evolved into this, into a blog first and a book that's really like, you know, a product of just learning and curating and processing and helping other people get to the same place. Got it. And can you talk about some of those failures? I mean, so it sounds like a couple of things. You tried a couple of different things, you experimented, and then you also, you caught on to kind of the wave that was happening with San Francisco. I'm assuming you didn't have a ton of connections. So that was a big gamble too. So let's talk about those two separate things. Like what were the projects and why San, like what was the risk there? Yeah. I mean, I have a million ideas and I try a thousand of them and like 10 of them are actually good. Like I have a terrible filter on stopping myself from doing ideas that are like, could be easily disqualified without actual like effort. But I tend to go like stick my nose in it anyway and get it burned, especially like when I was younger. So I was busy like trying to import bamboo t-shirts from China on like Alibaba in 2009 and trying to build websites. And like, I didn't really know how to build websites, but I could like sell the fact that I could build websites and like painting myself into a few corners that way in, in college. I mean, I got like incredibly lucky, I think just by kind of showing up to the right places at the right time a few times and like meeting the right people at different like startup events and just trying to learn quick and just, you know, the right kind of opportunity presented itself. And I ended up joining Zarly, which got me moved out to San Francisco. I ended up kind of like half dropping out and half graduating from school, like as that all happened. And yeah, I mean, it was like, I, I don't know. It didn't feel like a gamble. It felt like a no brainer to me at the time. Got it. And so just to clarify, you were doing startup events, you were attending startup events in the Midwest, and then the opportunity came and then it's like, boom, I'm, I'm going to San Francisco. Yeah, I was doing actually like won a ticket on a Twitter contest to go to a startup weekend in Detroit. And my team ended up winning. And like one of the judges was from Kaufman who introduced me to Bo, who was then the like head of entrepreneurship at the Kaufman Foundation, who we met like two days later. And because we won Startup Weekend, we started like getting these introductions and getting these presentations. And like that company from Startup Weekend never really went anywhere. But the relationships that came out of just that one weekend carried me, you know, decades forward, right? So it's pretty amazing to see. But that was one of, you know, 50 events I went to that year. It just happened to be the one that the right people were at and the right dominoes fell. I think the, I mean, one of the key takeaways for me here is, you know, just small experiments, right? Small experiments along the way. And even the San Francisco thing might've been an experiment. It's not a fatal thing, right? You can always go back home. And so that leads me into, you know, 
Twitter's obviously been good to you. You've built an audience on Twitter. It's a pretty engaged audience. And you decide that it's time to do this book with, you know, about Naval Ravikant, right? So obviously very influential. Those that haven't heard of him, you know, a billionaire, founded AngelList, you know, invested in a lot of amazing companies. Why did you decide to do this book? Like what type of, what were you trying to get out of it? I didn't really like decide so much. Like it was one of those things I like stuck my nose into, right? Like I just put out a tweet with this kind of like kernel of an idea and I wasn't sure it was going to stick. I wasn't sure I was going to do it. I was just kind of excited about it. I had listened to a few of his podcasts recently. I've been following Naval for years and learned a lot from him, but I wasn't like all in on this idea until I tweeted it. And then Naval retweeted this half-assed idea that I had and 5,000 people were like, hell yeah, like we want that. I was like, oh, okay, well now not only is it validated, but now I'm publicly committed to it. And if that many people are interested, like that really increases this, my appetite to work on it and to work on it to like a really high level. And so this kind of instant scope creep of like, oh my God, like I want to do, it went from like, Hey, maybe I should do this tiny little like thing to, oh my God, I'm building Portugal's Almanac, like for Naval. And so that first draft was huge and just tried to get really comprehensive and really detailed and really get into everything that I was interested in and, and thought that people could learn from Naval. So that was really, and I wanted to you know, I wanted it to be something that he was proud of and excited by and something that, you know, I'm sure, you know, now, like as you're building a book, like when you know, it's a book and it just ships and it's that permanent state forever, right? Like not like software, not like a blog post, you really get this level of perfectionism because once you say, that's it, that's it. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, right? Cause when you actually get your, cause you know, pre-show we were talking about how, you know, I have an upcoming book and like I was kind of not that excited about it until I got the physical copy and I was like, oh, this isn't actually, mm-hmm. actually a real thing, right? I don't know if you felt that way. Like, how was that for you? Yeah, I mean, holding the physical book is huge. Seeing the cover design for the first time is huge, but it just kind of feels like you're, you know, you're just like working away in a dock for a long time. Like, Man, this is blog post is a pain in the ass. And then, <laughs> and then there's all these like kind of formatting things that come up. Like, you know, there's just like barrier after barrier after barrier and detail after detail until you finally can get to some of like the fun things that you think about when you're first getting started. So yeah, it's a long process. I mean, I thought this was going to take three or six months and it took three years, but yeah. you just kind of keep chugging at it. Dude, that's a key lesson. Mine took like six years, right? So it's it's like you, <laughs> kind of, you, you write in chunks, right? So how did you go about attacking it in terms of the writing process? Like, how did you think about the chapters? Because there's a lot of, and where did you pull the content from? Because Naval's got a ton of wisdom out there, right? So yeah, I mean, I started with just trying to get an outline. And so to do that, I got his export of his whole tweet history and I cataloged and categorized every tweet and did like yes or no on whether it was kind of evergreen and useful and interesting and helpful out of context. So some of them weren't without like the context of time or response or conversation or something like that. So that was the first outline. And I probably went through three or four different like major overhauls of the outline. And then, I mean, well over a million words of source material across podcasts and blog posts and interviews and all of this stuff that he has done. And it was just like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And it's an interesting constraint to not be able to rewrite anything. You know, I didn't write a book about Naval. Like I built a book out of pre-existing, you know, Navalisms, which is, you know, the number of times I wish it would have been easier if I could rewrite it because you have to find the way to thread these pieces all together. But on the pace of work, I mean, I just really tried to kind of keep, there are periods where, you know, you just have to slog, you like have to fight through it. And it's just kind of like, put your head down. And then those sorts of things are like, make sure you put in your, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day. Like some days will only be 15 minutes. Some days it can be an hour. Maybe you get lucky and you can, you know, work a whole day on it. Sometimes, you know, it's a snow day or something, but there's also periods of time that are like creative challenges that just 
don't necessarily yield to brute force work. At least they didn't for me. And some of those were like, you know, do I put my words in this book? Like at the beginning, like, I wasn't sure whether I was going to be writing about some of Noel's thoughts, whether there's going to be any, you know, editorializing in there at all. And those sorts of questions, I had to kind of like get space from it almost. The analogy is you can't, no amount of activity makes dust settle faster. And you just have to let the dust settle, put it down, come back in two weeks and pick it up with fresh eyes because fresh eyes is the solution. Sometimes fresh eyes is the solution. Sometimes hard work is the solution. And knowing when to use different tools to make progress is part of the trick. Got it. How did you publish this? Was it self-published, hybrid? I never know how to answer that because I like I self-published, but I used a self-publishing publishing company. So I worked with Scribe Media, who was kind of amazing partners to all this. As Tucker Max started this company, and I basically like they took it from Google Doc to super professional final published product. So all I had to do was write, and they really coached me through the rest. Which is there's a ton of nuance and a ton of expertise and skill too. So, you know, a lot of the professional polish came from investing in that partnership and it saved me a ton of time and headache from having to kind of like learn all that stuff myself for the first time. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's like you just do the writing and then all of a sudden they just make this product and you just have this thing, right? It's, it's like, you didn't even know how that happened. Yeah. I mean, if I hadn't gotten to meet everybody along the way, I think it was just like a miracle. It's a weird to like dissociate it from it almost, but yeah, it was remarkable and they were, you know, generous and professional. And so let's talk about so that. I mean, I'm looking at your book right now, by the way, like I bought it September 17th and I have no idea where it is right now. So I could go find it. So, <laughs> or buy another one, you know, either yeah. way. <laughs> I was actually thinking that cause I was highlighting the Kindle one first. I was like, Oh, I, I thought I bought it, but now I, apparently I did. And so, you know, when I think about, or when I'm looking at this thing right here, okay. Jack Butcher was your illustrator. So on Twitter, he's fairly popular. I think he's visualized Valley, right? That's him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's been growing his business and, you know, I think he's selling like design courses, things like that. And then you have Tim Ferriss as a Ford, right? And then, you know, I'm looking at the numbers of ratings, 1400 ratings, four and a half stars. So there's a lot of things you talked about meeting people along the way. How did this all happen? Right. How do you get Tim Ferriss, Jack Butcher? And then, you know, we know how you met Naval already. And then let's talk about the 1400 ratings. So there's three things there. Yeah. I mean, some of this could just comes from kind of it being a public project and talking about what I'm working on. And so I had been following Jack and thought that what he was doing with visualized value was brilliant. Um, And I guess he had been following me and seeing what I was kind of sharing periodic updates. I'm like, Hey, I got a manuscript done or like, you know, still working on this project. And he reached out and said, Hey, I've got some great, like Naval illustrations done already. I've illustrated some of his quotes, concepts that are probably in the book. If you want to use these, I was like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Like these are absolutely brilliant. And I sent him the manuscript and he pulled more ideas and made even more illustrations. And it was great. Like, I'd super enjoy Jack. Like we're good friends now and he's absolutely brilliant. He's actually like living some of the ideas from this book more purely than anyone else I've seen out there. Like if you are reading and appreciating the book, you can learn a lot by watching Jack and seeing what he's doing. Got it. That's awesome. And I'm assuming, I mean, you guys kind of follow each other and you just, you know, he hit you up on Twitter DM. Was that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. It's just Twitter DM. And that's, that's almost all of this. I mean, that's how I found Scribe. Like I just tweeted about being done with a manuscript and Tucker Max replied. I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, we'd love to help you turn this into a professional book. And yeah, yeah that was awesome. Tim was more like just he and Naval are friends, you know? So, and this was a very unique project, right? Like Tim has forsworn that he will not do four words. And so this is really like the fact that this is an open project that it's published for free online. Like all of the digital versions are available for free. The website's available for free. You can read the whole thing out there. That'll be true for like all the translations. That'll be true for the audiobook. So it's a very unique 
project and in Naval and Tim have a very unique relationship. And so I think that's kind of where that comes from. Like, I, I can't honestly like take much credit for that. And I think the only thing I did there was just like work hard to make yeah. that worth his time, I guess. And then the 1400 ratings, what happened to get there? I mean, I, there's a good, like I worked hard to build up a good mailing list on Navalmanac.com as I was like getting this book ready, but that is not the sole source of that. I think that has just so much more to do. That's a testament really to like, I think the reach and fandom that Naval has and the number of followers that he has. And it's been super, super gratifying to see how this book gets like recommended and passed along through word of mouth. Like that for me, there was like two big, you know, KPIs or goals as I was like writing this book that I wanted to remind myself. And one was like highlight density. So I wanted this to be an easy read that there was something valuable on every single page, no matter what you opened it up to. And I wanted to see that it was one of the most highlighted books per word in the Kindle store. And the second was I wanted it to be relevant and recommended and have like a very healthy kind of long tail, long-term life cycle. And so seeing it get recommended and seeing people, you know, rate it on Goodreads or Amazon or pass along or share it, say it was, you know, the best read of 2020. Like I've seen a few of those lists and it is just like deeply, deeply gratifying to see that stuff come out, but there's no hack behind those reviews, like just blown away that people appreciate it and go out of their way to share it with others. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, like when I think about this, I mean, you have a system here where you can basically become the almanac guy. So <laughs> what are your thoughts around doing that long-term? Cause there's a lot of, I honestly, I'm really psyched about this like format. I feel like I've figured out a, there's so much value in a book that is like this type of medium. Like there's something evergreen about a book. It's so Lindy. It's so like, it's been around yeah. forever. Everybody knows what to do with it. And it's giftable and it's recommendable. And it's like, people want it and hold it in their hands and highlight it, and write it on it. And it, like, it's never going anywhere in a way that, you know, something even of equal quality that's on a website or a blog post just doesn't have smack quite the same way. And I think there's something, you know, we are the bar for quality content is so much higher than it's ever been, right? Like the amount of it that's out there and the need for curation goes up as the rate of creation goes up. And so taking someone's, you know, life learnings and distilling it down to a few hour read and then getting out of the way, right? Like there could be a biography about Naval that tells you about all the stuff that he did, but it wouldn't be the same as reading about what he's spoken that can teach you how to think like he thinks. That's why like, I read a lot of biographies and I read them to learn how the person thinks. But those books don't usually do a good job of actually like, you have to work to pull those threads. And I think that this medium, it, like, I really want to continue exploring this because I think it feels like a very personal conversation you know, with Naval, when you read it, it's all kind of one-to-one. -one. It feels kind of dialogue-y and it's really dense in a like insight dense, you know, and it's evergreen lessons. And I think that those are really, I just tried to build a book that I would want to read and something that would be useful for a broad number of people. And I think that there's a lot more, you know, subjects to your point that could benefit from this. Um, I'm excited to see what I do next. Yeah. I'll be as surprised as anybody else. I'll be a customer again. So how has your relationship with Naval evolved from this after this? I mean, honestly, like I had never met him before. I still have never met him. You know, we did all of this through email and DM and he was very, you know, I tried to be kind of proactive about like showing my work and keeping him in the loop. And he was helpful and responsive and supportive. And that's, you know, that's all I could ask. It didn't take a ton of time. It didn't, 
you know, we didn't collaborate on it so much as like, I just wanted to ensure that he was like informed and happy with the product and, you know, willing to have it out there with his name on it. Like it's a huge marker of trust that he, that he was just like, Hey, stranger on the internet, like with an idea, go for it. Right. I'm honored by that. I don't know where it came from, but I knew I wanted to kind of do it justice. That's crazy. So you guys have never like talked on the phone or done like a zoom chat or anything like that. Nor would I assume that he likes to do that stuff anyway. No. And I was like, you know, you've already done all the work to put all your ideas down out there. You know, may as well just use what you've already done and get as far as I can with it. Got it. So I want to talk about building in public because, you know, it's, I think this is a perfect example, right? This, you can share everything you've done. You talk about sharing the manuscript, you talk about sharing the progress and all that. So, you know, can you, in your own words, what do you think building in public is and what did you do, you know, to kind of build in public? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of forced into it here. Like this building in public does not come naturally to me, but this project kind of just happened that way. And people were asking for updates. And so I felt very compelled to kind of be proactive and say like, I'm still working on this. Here's the progress. Here's the progress. And that's easier to do when you know that people are interested in it and there's demand for it and you want to show progress. I mean, a ton of unanticipated benefits in that people reached out with, you know, like illustrations or reached out to support with publication, like I wouldn't have known necessarily where to go for those things. But when people offer them, you know, all of a sudden it's like a, you know, fantasy book of like, you know, when you reach the crossroads, you know, and you don't know how to cross the river, like somebody paddles over with a boat and like offers you passage. Right. And if you're public about the effort that you're putting out there and people are excited about the project, like those things tend to happen and you just kind of, you know, it feels like luck, but you kind of, you created it, I think a little bit by, being open and being proactive. And I, you know, it wasn't a ton of extra work, right? It was just putting up a website early. It was sharing updates periodically. It was, you know, I wasn't doing daily updates or even weekly, right? This was very, very sporadic, but it was enough that, you know, people kind of got along for the ride early and started to feel invested in the project and appreciate and be excited that it was coming. And yeah, it was very gratifying and rewarding. And that's a source of energy, you know, when you're feeling tired or, or bogged down and, you know, some of the less fun, like proofreading kind of stuff and people are DMing you and asking for updates or, you know, excited to see the next milestone. Those keep you going. So what, I mean, what were you tweeting? I'm assuming most of this was done on your website or you're kind of tweeting updates, right? Yeah. And so what were you tweeting exactly? Was it like screenshots of the book? Like, Hey, this is what's happening. Like, this is like, you know, oh, I just got the physical copy. Like, what did those look like? Yeah. I mean, most of the updates were just, I don't know. There's not super clear milestones when you're working on a book like this, as you know, right? Like you like think you're done and then you tweet it. Like I bounced off. I probably had three or four different times when I thought I had a complete manuscript and (laughs) found out I was wrong. And I mean, you tweeting, I was tweeting lessons as I was going passages, maybe new resources that I found new stuff as it was coming out. So that was kind of part of the challenge was like folding in new podcasts to an existing book that was like getting built in progress. There's, you know, periodic emails. I didn't like crowdsource stuff like, you know, cover design or anything like that particularly, but it was a great kind of, I found some great peer readers and early reviewers of the book. And that was a really key step in getting like feedback on a version of the manuscript to help me really kind of hone it in and make it smooth and readable and appeal to a broad audience, which was a goal. Got it. Cool. So here's the question again that we started with in the beginning. Why do a book? Books are, you know, archaic. What types of benefits have you seen from the book? Like, it just seems like, you know, I'm all about audiobooks, right? These are the exact comments I'm getting from people right now. So what would you say to that? 
just because something is old doesn't mean it's outdated. You know, I think books are incredibly Lindy and there's a... Can you define a Lindy effect to people just yeah, so those that don't know? Yeah, but it's a, like a Tlaib. Well, at least I learned it from Tlaib. I'm not sure that he originated it, but it's basically the law that says you should assume at any point you are at the halfway point of something's lifespan. So if, you know, a company has been around for 50 years, it is most likely that it will be around for 50 more. If it's only been around for one, you can only assume it will be around for one more. It's a very rough heuristic for like how applicable and how enduring is this thing. Books have been around for thousands of years. It is likely that they will be around for thousands more years, despite, you know, many sort of innovation around them. So that's what I mean when I say Lindy. So, you know, people can say like, oh, books are being superseded by blogs or Kindle books or audio books, but I don't think that's supported necessarily. And it's certainly not supported for everybody, even if it is for a small group. And I mean, people miss that to have an audio book, you need to write the book first. So just because there's more mediums and more ways to sell a book now does not mean that the book is irrelevant at all. So, and I think that there's a, you know, books are hard, like, and they should be. And I have written many books worth of words on a blog, and it is much less difficult than writing a book, but also the rewards and the returns for writing the book are higher than writing the same amount of words on a blog. And it's a really interesting thing to feel and see. And it feels a little bit like arbitrage almost. You're like, this is the same content that's on the website, but if I just post it on the website, like very, very few people would care. And I probably would not be on this podcast right now, but like the fact that it's in a book and the fact that it's packaged and organized and crafted and that it like has an ISBN number that's for sale on Amazon and that you can hold a physical copy of it and I can sign one and ship it to you. Like all of those things are for whatever reason, like important and enduring and a different experience for the author and the reader than you know, than the former books. So I think it's totally worth doing. I would recommend it to anybody, both as a creator and a reader. I'm still a huge reader of books, though I do love audiobooks and I do it all. So yeah, don't let the haters get you down. Like super, super proud of your book and for sure. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Thanks for that. So, you know, what types of benefits have you seen from the book in terms of, I mean, it could be like relationships, deal, relationships leads to everything, right? So deal flow could be, you know, different types of, I don't know, what have you gotten from it? it's honestly like really fun to see it end up in like close friends of mine or circles that have it gone like the long way all around the world. Like I have friends text me and be like, my brother just picked up this book because he read about it in some other thing that was recommended to him by something else. And like, that is super fun and rewarding to just see it kind of like, I haven't seen anybody like reading it in public yet, but oh, that'd be ho- cool. hopefully, yeah, at some point, like you know, on the train or whatever, that'd be fun. I mean, it has led me into some really interesting conversations. You know, we did a tiny little like pilot group for a book club that was really rewarding and fun. I loved this book, like as a reader, as much as, as the author, right? So I've read this book, you know, 20 times while doing it. And so I love the concepts and I'm kind of continuing to explore some of those concepts. And the book is a really great like bat signal for people who want to learn more about them. Like, it is just the perfect kind of flag of like, Hey, come talk to me about this stuff. And like, we're going to have a great time with it. So it is a great, it's not a conversation starter. It's like a conversation accelerator. Like if you both have read this thing, like we can now move 10 hours into conversation and get really into like some details and have shared language and have at least some of the same assumed worldview or talk about the pieces that we disagree on. And both of those are really fun and interesting conversations. Got it. That's awesome. So working towards wrapping up here, I mean, what would you say is your favorite lesson from the book? I love feeling the nuance of accountability 
versus risk. I thought that was a really good one. The thing I'm most excited to kind of keep exploring is leverage. I feel like that's a super important and like underappreciated or misunderstood kind of mental model that's explaining like a lot of what we're seeing. So I'm like doing more writing and exploring on that because I think Naval really like labeled that door and opened it for us. But there's a huge, huge maze to explore kind of beyond that is a mental model, you know, super important on the order of compounding, right? And I think, you know, generations will be defined by it kind of to come. So that's a really fun one. I'm seeing that everywhere now. And I don't know. I mean, I like it's hard over three years to separate like all of the lessons that have made their way into my head. Now I have a much greater appreciation, I think for the little things and the quiet moments and some of the habits that come. Like, I think this book forced me actually to like be a little more philosophical and introspective earlier in my life than I would have naturally. And I think I'm certainly better for that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I love the concept of leverage. I mean, I find myself referring back to Naval a lot. I mean, you know, code capital, labor, and media, mm-hmm. right? I think it's yep. that's the model you're talking about, correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's huge. So what would be your favorite philosophy book? I don't know. There's a ton of them in the like recommended reading at the end there, but I haven't gotten like deep into some of the stuff like Krishnamurti and stuff that he recommends. Any business book. <laughs> well, my favorite, I've read some of the stoic stuff, which I really appreciate. The business stuff, I love Poor Charlie's Almanac as like a foundation for everything else. And I think the systems Bible is actually like increasingly relevant as we got more and more complex systems that are like affecting us way more than we understand. And so I love those two. They're both also like funny and fun to read. At least they are for me, but maybe both a bit of an acquired taste. Cool. And then favorite could be favorite business tool or it could be favorite, just whatever tool. It could be like a Peloton bike, whatever. I love otter.ai. That's been super helpful. So, you know, Otter is interesting to me because we have Gong, right? We use Gong on the sales side of things. And so is it just, you're basically, Otter adds a call to your Zoom calls or whatever and just kind of transcribes things. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I just open it in the app or a tab. And as long as it's out, I think Grain maybe for Zoom is like a similar thing that's custom built for Zoom, but I haven't tried that yet. Otter's just super flexible and I use it like partly in real life and partly for calls and stuff like that. So it's just really flexible and easy. So there's a mobile app for it too. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'll have to actually download it. Thank you for that. And then, cause I know you're a reader. So what would you say is the most compelling content that you've consumed recently? Could be something you've read, watched, or listened to. It's a high test. I'm just going to say, I love Ben and David at acquired and like their podcast has been super, super interesting and like broad and they have fun doing it, which I really enjoy. I think James clear is like some of the highest like value per word stuff on the internet. It is just like fundamentals delivered to your face with the great clarity. I think everything on Farnham street is great. Oh, actually. And lattice work. If you're into the mental models, like check out lattice work. Cause I think that's quickly becoming like the most comprehensive home for mental model stuff online. And I'm a big fan of Blas Moro. He's a great guy and he's building a really cool community there. Cool. Awesome. Well, Eric, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? I'm on Twitter way too much. And my personal site is ejorgensen.com. If you want to check out the book, you can read the whole thing for free, download all the digital versions, join the mailing list. We got other stuff coming. That's all at navalmanac.com. All right, Eric, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Eric. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.